when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Rishi Sunak set out his latest bold plans to revive the British economy this week. But will the Chancellor's billions of pounds stem the rising tide of job losses? We entered this crisis unencumbered by dogma, and we continue in this spirit, driven always by the simple desire to do what is right. Welcome to Payne's Politics, your essential insider guide to what's happened and happening in British politics from the Financial Times, with me, Sebastian Payne. In this episode, I'll be analysing Mr Sunak's summer statement, which was a mini-budget in all but name. With political editor George Parker and economics editor Chris Giles, we'll be digging into whether his £30 billion of extra spending is the most effective use of public funds. And later, with chief political correspondent Jim Picard and leisure industries correspondent Alice Hancock, we'll be looking at why the government is focusing so heavily on getting the economy going through the hospitality sector and why the British high street appears to be falling apart. So George and Chris, thanks for joining. Hi, Seb. Hi, Seb. Now, we know that chancellors always enjoy conjuring a rabbit out of a hat at these fiscal events. George Osborne was very famous for doing it, and Rishi Sunak, his successor, was no exception. His surprise this week was a 50% off discount between Monday and Wednesday, up to £10 per person for cafes and restaurants. It's already been dubbed a dish on rish. So, George and Chris, how are you planning to spend your freebie food tokens? Well, seeing as you come from the northeast, Seb, I'd like to say I'd like to have a, a little fishy on a little dishy on Rishi. But in fact, I think the place I'm going to go to, and I'm going to give a shameless plug to it because they're going through hard times at the moment, is Rara's Nepalese Restaurant on Sandicum Road in Kew. Take the family down there, have a few pop-doms and a, a few beers and support a really good local business. I think I'm going to go for a more basic option, which is Pizza Express, because I'm trying to think of through their various voucher schemes and Rishi's very generous £10 voucher, one could actually go there and not really pay anything. And of course, we've got the VAT cut as well. Now, Chris, as our economics guru, I imagine you've been thinking about this. Where are you going to head to come beginning of August? Well, I think it depends what day of the week it is and what times. If it's breakfast, then I think Pedro's Cafe on Kentish Town Road, which does a mean English breakfast, huge, and you could get that for a very, very cheap price. But if it's the evening, I'll go to my local Italian restaurant, Rosella, on Highgate Road, just on the way up to Hampstead Heath from Kentish Town. Marvellous, in a very understated but really great family-run restaurant. Well, sadly, the voucher scheme doesn't come into action for another couple of weeks. So while our stomachs wait, let's have a look at how much Rishi Sunak is planning to spend to save the British economy. When this coronavirus crisis began, no one in the government had to adjust their politics and perspective as much as Rishi Sunak. The 40-year-old Chancellor's first budget in March was instantly blown out of the water, followed by a whopping £350 billion rescue package to help struggling businesses and employees through the lockdown. 
This week, the Chancellor returned to his piggy bank to splash another £30 billion in an attempt to boost growth and stem those job losses. After paying the wages of millions of Britons over the past five months, Mr Sunak wants to put the country back to work. But his bill for the rescue package is growing rapidly and experts are questioning whether he's making the right decisions. So Chris, what did you make of Rishi Sunak's second major economic intervention? Well, so I think it's the moment where, as he said, he's moving from a phase one, which was just ploughing money into the economy, basically trying to protect anyone and replace private sector money with public sector cash, with a phase two, which is trying to get people back to work. And that is much more difficult because if you just find where money was spent in the private sector, where employers were paying wages, etc., and just say, well, the government will do that or pretty much do that, that's not very difficult to target. What's much harder is to try and find the areas of the economy which are struggling, but with a little bit of government support would be okay. And that's the that's the ambition. And that's why we saw the targeting on the hospitality sector. But where it's much more difficult is that where they've tried to extend the furlough scheme to help companies that were on the cusp of laying people off, trying to keep people in work, and they've given a £1,000 per employee a job retention bonus if you keep your employee on till the end of January. Now, this is really difficult because loads of people are already back off furlough. And so all these companies that didn't necessarily need support will get it. So if 9 million people all came back, that would be £9 billion. And of that, economists reckon that about 90% of the money spent on this job retention bonus might well be money for people who would have come back anyway. But George, one of the things I was struck with was the tone of Rishi Sunak in the chamber. Let's just hear what he had to say about the prospect of unemployment and how that's something he won't accept. Our plan has a clear goal, to protect, support and create jobs. It will give businesses the confidence to retain and hire, to create jobs in every part of our country, to give young people a better start, to give people everywhere the opportunity of a fresh start. If you compare that, George, to some of the news we've had this week, it looks as if the Chancellor's trying to throw money at a problem. It doesn't entirely seem to be working as well as some of the Treasury might have hoped. Well, I'm not sure the Treasury ever really hoped that they could stop this tide of unemployment, which is coming our way. I think it'd be a bit King Canute-like. And reading between the lines of a lot of what Rishi Sunak was saying, you know, he mentioned a phrase like this, hardship to come. We've heard Boris Johnson talking about the fact we can't hold jobs in suspended animation forever. Look, I think the government knows over the next few months, particularly leading up to the ending of the furlough scheme at the end of October, there is going to be a tidal wave of joblessness coming in our direction. And we saw that with the job losses this week at John Lewis, Boots, GE, Burger King, and across the board. So I think the government knows there's a big problem ahead. As Chris was saying, the question is whether this potentially the single most expensive part of this package, the £1,000 offer to companies that keep on furloughed workers, whether that's enough. And you know, when you've even got the head of HMRC, Jim Harra, saying he wasn't able to certify this was good value for money for the public purse, well, I think that's, to put it mildly. So it's going to be difficult, and it's frustrated quite a few people in business, also the Labour Party, who say, well, look, if you're chucking money at the hospitality sector and you're giving £1,000 to companies who are going to take workers back anyway, if the money's available... Why didn't you spend it on sectors of the economy which are going to be laying people off in quite large numbers in the coming months, like the aviation sector? And 
I think Rishi Sunak's view on that is simply you've got to focus money where it's best spent. And in this case, he felt hospitality was the most vulnerable. And just finally on that, people in the Treasury say it was at the intersection of a Venn diagram, the hospitality sector, where if you gave it a boost, it would avoid large-scale or could help to avoid large-scale youth unemployment, the fear of scarring young people's lives with unemployment, that it was an industry that was particularly um, vulnerable to a lack of confidence, and also an industry where if you gave a, a bit of a boost to it, you could get people back into the workplace quite quickly. Now, Chris, you wrote a very compelling analysis this week about what's going to happen to the public finances here, because as we said, the amount the government has spent on coronavirus and combating the economic damage is huge and has been growing quite rapidly here. But this wasn't a budget from the Chancellor, so he hasn't set out what's going to happen here. Is there any sense about how this is all going to be paid for? Well, uh, it's not going to be paid for, is the short answer to that. We are going to borrow an enormous amount of money this year. We're going to borrow somewhere in the region of the 350 £360 billion, pounds, and that's just the latest estimate. That's about 18% of national income. Now, if you think about the global financial crisis just over a decade ago, the peak of borrowing in 2009-2010 was just 10% of national income. So we're twice that. We're almost at the level of government borrowing in the Second World War. We had a record uh, in any peacetime outside world wars. Uh, so however you look at it, the, the borrowing is enormous. And we're never going to pay it back. We're going to it's going to go onto the national debt. And the question is, will service the national debt currently very cheap? But it means if that servicing cost becomes goes up in future, which it will do if things go well. So the, the, the sort of the problem is if things go badly, we won't have any tax revenues to pay the servicing costs, or they'll be low. If things go well, interest rates will come up from their current level, and that will make servicing hard. So we will be paying the servicing costs for this for decades to come. Uh, and that is the way it's going to be. We're not going to pay it back. The real worry is that sufficient amounts of the economy won't come back anything like normal in many, many years. And so there'll be a persistent level of borrowing, and that's what we'll need to fund with higher taxes. We're not at the point where we know that yet, but I think that uh, the Treasury, and Rishi Sunak in particular, worries that if he's got to make some really hard decisions about taxation, he'd want to do it early in the parliament, so maybe this autumn, at least announce them this autumn, rather than later. It's quite interesting, actually, watching the politics of this. Generally, across the board, the Conservative Party, which you think would be absolutely alarmed by what's going on, seems to be reasonably relaxed uh, and confident that the debt can be serviced um, because you know, borrowing costs, as Chris was saying, are still pretty reasonably low. You could just imagine if uh, if Labour were in charge what the Conservatives would be saying and they wouldn't be saying what they're saying now. I think uh, we could be pretty sure about that. They would be sounding the alarm. Well, let's just hear from Labour and what the new Shadow Chancellor Annelise Dodds had to say. She wasn't too impressed with the package. It should have been the day when we got the UK economy firing again. Today, Britain should have had a back-to-work budget. But instead... We got this summer statement with many of the big decisions put off until later, as the benches opposite know full well. Now, Labour is a constructive opposition during this time of crisis. We won't criticise for criticism's sake, but when the government falls short, we will speak up. 
George, I was a bit struck by Labour's response here because so far, Keir Starmer and his new team have quite well calibrated their response to this, that they've been broadly supportive of what the government's doing, given the fact they're spending lots of money, which is the thing that the Labour Party normally quite likes doing. But it felt to me as if they might have slightly misjudged it this week, that they criticised you know, Rishi Sunak for offering a meal deal instead of a new deal, referencing Boris Johnson's rhetoric about FDR last week. What did you make of Labour's response to all this? Well, Labour's response throughout most of this crisis has been to be broadly supportive of the government, but to say that we would have done a little bit more than that at almost every stage. And I think we got a bit more of that uh, strategy this week. I think from a political point of view, it's quite well calibrated because if you look at the public response to what Rishi Sunak's doing, it's been very positive. Um, I saw one opinion poll last weekend, which gave Rishi Sunak a plus 41 approval rating compared with uh, plus two for Boris Johnson. So what Rishi Sunak's doing is popular, so it makes sense for the Labour Party not to be overtly critical. But I don't know, I'm, I, I'm slightly disagree with you there, Seb. I think probably the Labour Party position this week was reflecting what they were picking up, not just from the trade unions, inevitably, but also from some business leaders. There's sort of slight unease that in some of our high-end manufacturing sectors, for example, like, I don't know, automotive or aerospace, that the government isn't, for example, prepared to extend the furlough scheme beyond October, instead of which is handing out money to the hospitality sector, sort of fairly low-skilled jobs by and large, um, and handing out money to companies that may not really need it. So I think the Labour response has been, look, if there is money to be uh, showered around, is this really the best way to do it? And judging by some of the business reaction the day after Mr Sunak's speech, I think that was a, a reasonably valid argument to make. I think that George is right there, that what Labour have done is put themselves in a position come the autumn if we see job losses rising really, really fast as the furlough scheme disappears, uh, to say, well, we wouldn't have done it like this. We said so back in the summer that it was wrong. And, and it's a pretty easy calculation to say that now so that later they can criticise it when the unemployment numbers are likely to rise pretty significantly. Now, Chris, I was going to ask you, you've observed one or two chancellors in your time here. Mr Sunak's performance got rave reviews again this week. And I think the contrast in the House of Commons was quite clear from the Prime Minister, who is not necessarily the most articulate person when he's at the dispatch box, whereas Rishi Sunak was very precise, very clear. Um, and appeared to be come across as quite compassionate in this. And of course, the heads have already started running, saying he's going to be the next prime minister, all that sort of thing. How do you think he's positioned himself throughout all this? Well, he's taken a very non-ideological stance. He's very much taken the advice of people in the Treasury. The Treasury knows the situation is really bad, and they've decided essentially to throw money at the problem. And he was very willing to do so. And it's quite easy to be popular when you're throwing taxpayers' money around. Uh, so you could have imagined at the start of this crisis that if we just left the welfare system in place and said, yes, if you need to lay people off, just go on to universal credit, then he would have been extremely unpopular. But if you've spent nearly £200 billion, £190 billion is the latest estimate from the Treasury, then that is just an enormous amount of money. It's nearly 10% of national income. And if you spend 10% of national income, you're not going to be unpopular. His big difficulty will come in the autumn where he begins to remove all of these things because you can't keep doing that forever. And the Treasury is well aware, and I think Mr Sunak is also pretty well, well aware, that at that stage he won't be seen to be as popular as he is now. And so it's a bit of a honeymoon uh, for now. There was an episode on the Wednesday night of the statement where uh, 
Rishi Sunak went to the backbench 1922 committee and the chairman of the 22, Graham Brady, said, look, let's not waste time showering praise on Rishi. Let's take it as read that everyone here thinks he's brilliant. And it's it's an incredible situation for a chancellor to be in. And uh, that's probably because he's chucking loads of money around at the moment. But it's also interesting that for the moment, at least, uh, number 10 and people like Dominic Cummings are also raving about the performance of Rishi Sunak. And he's often compared to a star striker who's knocking goals in for the team. Everyone's happy about that. And, you know, if you think about this, you know, the government's handling of coronavirus generally uh, has not been particularly well received by the public. We've seen Boris Johnson's approval ratings on ways handled coronavirus plummets over the last few months. But actually on the economic side, judging by Rishi Sunak's poll ratings, he's almost rehabilitating the government's reputation on coronavirus. Um, but nevertheless, you know, just look at the way that Rishi Sunak's been, this whole package is branded as Rishi's plan for jobs, this sort of treasury press release, Rishi's plan for jobs. Within hours of the statement coming out, you've got these graphics from the treasury, all signed by Rishi Sunak, Chancellor, associating the Chancellor personally. And, you know, if you look at the way that Rishi Sunak plays the parliamentary party, he has lots of private meetings with MPs. Everything Rishi Sunak does suggests that he's someone who is eyeing the top job. Now, as I said at the moment, Downing Street regards him as a team player, invaluable, in fact, to the team at the moment. But there will come a point, I'm sure, later in this parliament where people in number 10 will be looking over their shoulder at this young pretender who, for the time being at least, is playing a blinder. has to be said, though, of course, he's pretty much untested. It's only a year ago that he was a junior minister in the local government department. So it's a phenomenal rise. And we don't know quite how much of a street fighter he is and how well he'll be able to cope when the punches are really being thrown in at the top of politics. And finally, Chris, so much of Rishi Sunak's future political career is going to be decided on what happens with the economy. Based on what we've heard from the Chancellor this week and all the indications we've seen, do you think we're heading for some form of rapid recovery, what's often been called as the V-shape, or opposed to something more gradual as the U-shape? I think that we're still learning on what shape the recovery is going to be. Most likely at the start, V-shaped. That's what seems to be happening in other countries as well. So things that which were closed and by government, by law, when you reopen them, you get quite a lot of extra spending and quite a lot of extra economic activities straight away. So it starts off V, but then peters out, I think. So we are not going to fully recover back to the level. So it's, it's a sort of sharp upward kick. And then where it stops is the big unknown. I would have thought it's going to stop significantly short of the level we were at at the start of the year. And that's when you're going to see various businesses saying, well, at that sort of level of output and activity, things aren't viable. We're already seeing that in retail. Uh, and that's when we're going to see job losses, sectors shaking out, and it will get a lot, lot more difficult in the future. Boris Johnson's government is pinning its hopes of recovery on the retail and hospitality sector. The summer statement hoped to stimulate demand by getting British punters out of their living rooms and back into shops, pubs, restaurants and hotels. But Mr Sunak's rhetorical optimism has flown in the face of reality, with some Britons suffering from FOGO, the fear of going out. I wouldn't say it would entice me back into a restaurant anytime soon. I'll be a bit cautious because there's the real risk of getting infected as well, but I think baby steps, yeah. 
But others, like this hotel manager in Manchester, are more optimistic about getting business back to normal. It's great the Chancellor recognised us as a sector and as a business. We'll go through challenging times, and I still think we will, even despite these packages. However, this optimism is in the face of mounting job losses from some of the UK's best-known high street names. Jim Picard, why is the British high street struggling so much during the lockdown and the coronavirus crisis? So we have a situation where British retail has been struggling for years. This is not just a cyclical pandemic issue whereby the rise of internet shopping has eaten a huge chunk out of Britain's high streets. We've had job losses, we've had closures, even before this came along. And if you think about the Conservative Manifesto, a lot of that talk about levelling up and improving the left-behind towns, you know, one of the physical manifestations of that is boarded up shops, excess of charity shops, the sort of physical manifestation of declining towns. Now, along comes the pandemic, and what could be more devastating to retail than people being ordered to stay at home for three or four months? At the same time, people have been buying more online. I mean, I think about myself. Have I bought any clothes in the last four months? couple of t-shirts, a suit, all online. And now, although we've got the reopening and people are allowed to go shopping, the difference between internet shopping and going to an actual physical shop is that the latter is kind of a leisure activity. A lot of people do it for fun. But is it fun where you are expected to socially distance, where you can't sort of run your hand through the fabric that you're about to purchase, where there are people wearing masks? It doesn't feel like a fun activity. And it's not surprising that footfall numbers have not recovered to where they were at the start of the year. So Alice Hancock, the government's been encouraging people to get out and shop and go to their restaurants and things. How has the hospitality sector and the retail sector responded to that request for everybody to get back out there? I think it's been interesting to see the government's change of message in the last week, maybe the week before. It was very much a case of stay at home, that wonderful stay at home, stay alert. And now suddenly they're going, get out, work out to help out, eat out to help out. And the hospitality sector said they were really struggling because Britons have been so fearful. You saw in France, Macron stood up and said, you know, it's your national duty to go out and eat. And that was about a month ago. And the hospitality sector was saying we really need a boost like that because the government has been far too effective almost in its messaging to get people to stay at home. Of course, there is this struggle that a lot of British people just don't feel safe going out again. And I think part of that has been the public health response to this, that people aren't quite sure about the test track and trace system and whether all those social distancing measures have been put in place. Is it your sense, Alice, that people have actually done what's been asked of them and that most of them are trying to reopen? Absolutely. I think they are incredibly keen to be open if they can, but there is a huge fear in the sector that because of the social distancing measures, which cut capacities in, say, your average restaurant by about 50 to 60 percent, then you're looking at far below break-even levels of trade, plus the investment they need to put into reopening. So you've got to go and buy your PPE, you've perspex screens, extra cleaning. I've heard people talking about electrostatic sprayers and very intense medical-grade cleaners. <laughs> All that costs money to businesses that have had zero revenues coming in for months. They've had to negotiate with landlords to see if they could get rent breaks. They've had to think about how they can possibly keep staff, cover costs. And so it's a very difficult balance for them to strike. And many simply have decided that they won't reopen at all. 
But Jim, Rishi Sunak put forward two clear things in the summer statement to try and help with this. The first was slashing VAT temporarily for the hospitality sector from 20 to 5%. And the second thing we were chatting about earlier was the dish for Rish, that from Monday to Wednesday, you can get 50% off at your favourite restaurant, up to £10 per person, which is a classic political gimmick. Did you think they were both good ideas? Will they actually help to combat those challenges Alice was talking about? Both measures have been welcomed by industry and you can see why they're desperate for any help they can get. But I think the reasons for people deciding to book a holiday in Cornwall or not book a holiday or to go out for dinner or not go out for dinner, it's really not about whether there's a sort of slightly cheaper cost to it or not. When it comes to do you go on holiday, it's very much will it be safe? People are also worried. It's all very well the fact that over three or four months we've all been spending less money and we've probably built up a little bit of savings. But When you're staring into the teeth of the biggest recession potentially that we've seen in our lifetimes, people are sophisticated enough to know that these are really uncertain times and that in a year's time, they could be out of work, they could be financially struggling. And then there's just the question of whether if you go to a pub or a restaurant, will it be fun? So there are a lot of these things holding back the surge in consumer spending. So yes, the cut in VAT will help and the eat-out discounts during August. I mean, I thought that was quite a fun gimmick, but he's doing this into some very major headwinds. And actually, I was sent out by the FT last Saturday to write a little piece about my local pub reopening, and quite a few colleagues were as well. And I think in the end, some colleagues decided they didn't really want to do this. If you look at social media, there's a lot of people criticising those who choose to go out and have a pint at the moment, saying that they're being not safe So there's a little bit of societal misgivings about this still in the air. And I'm not sure this is going to be a great summer season for either industry. A very arduous reporting task you were sent on there, Jim. I was actually out in Suffolk, leaving London for the first time this weekend, and the pubs were very busy. The people who were running them were saying, though, they're concerned about how sustainable this demand is going to be throughout the summer. People are keen to get out and enjoy a pint now, but will that continue? Alice, it feels like there's a big focus on young people here. The government has said that they're going to be the worst affected. And that's the one thing Rishi Sunak mentioned in his budget. That's why they're keen to get hospitality going again, because we're faced with huge job losses in this sector. Pret saying they're going to lose a thousand jobs. Is there more that the industry is asking for? I think that's exactly right. I think about 50% of hospitality workers are under the age of 24. So the people that are going to be particularly badly affected by this. The issue for many hospitality operators, and it's sort of the elephant in the corner, as it were, is rent. The government has put a moratorium on rents, but landlords are being very aggressive in chasing rents. Most of the hospitality sector haven't paid rent since March, or if they have, they've paid incremental amounts or asked for rent deferrals on holidays. But that issue is the key reason for them closing sites. It's because they can't afford to keep those sites, therefore they have to lay off staff. So The moratorium will last until September. That's an extension. But there is this huge fear that come September, you know, landlords won't come to the negotiating table and then there'll be another crunch point. Absolutely. And I think business rates are something that famously exercise conservative MPs because their post bags are always filled up from letters from their constituents, small business owners saying they can't afford to keep going. Now, of course, Mr. Sunak has brought in a business rate freeze until next year. But when I did that column out from Suffolk, I spoke to business owners about this and they're really worried about a cliff edge. When the rates kick back in, there's going to be a huge ask of them again. 
So you can see the demands are already piling up on the treasury to give business rates a break for even more time. Yeah, exactly. I think also there's the VAT break that's deferral until I think it's January. They're also facing another bill then. So there's a sort of double whammy there. And I think Jim's exactly right. They're hoping that trade will bring in the revenues, but people don't think going to the pub will be that fun. I mean, I was thinking of going to the pub tonight, which I am, but you have to book. I can't just roll out as I used to do from the office and go and grab my pint. And it takes organisation. And when you get there, are you going to be able to stay for longer than two drinks? That's not going to bring in the kind of money that will fund being able to pay all these bills. Well, if things are bad for pubs, it's certainly worse for the high street gym. It really does look like we are facing an existential crisis. You mentioned that there are these longer term trends, the department store and its decline has been coming for some years. And we saw this news from John Lewis this week, which is often held up as one of the most successful British retailers. They're announcing some really big store closures. Yeah, I was just looking at the overnight FT. There was a report suggesting that 50,000 jobs in retail have been lost in the UK since the start of the crisis. The ones we saw yesterday from John Lewis, Boots, Burger King, that amounted to more than 5,000. But that is only part of this trend, which is going to get worse and worse towards the end of the year. I know um, colleagues who talk to business leaders every day are aware that a lot of them are planning mass redundancies probably around September, because as you guys said a minute ago, we've got the business rates and VAT deferrals that come to an end early next year. We've got the C-bills loans, which will stop being interest-free early next year. We've got the furlough scheme which starts to gradually disappear from the 1st of August and by the end of October has completely disappeared. And yes, retail will be seeking extra measures and assistance. One of the interesting things, I think, behind the budget as well, sort of shifting back to hospitality slightly, is that the government has been looking at the data both for footfall for retail, but also the the footfall for visits to pubs and restaurants last Saturday. And on both fronts, it's down by more than a half from where it would normally be. And that's despite the whole fanfare around going back to normal. And ministers are rightly very worried. Now, the final thing, Alice, is that we've heard this week from Oliver Dowden, the culture secretary, that more things in the hospitality and fun sector, if you want to call it, are opening, which is gyms are reopening, some outdoor performances. You can see why they want to do this. Again, it's trying to get people out and spending money and stimulate the economy. But some people have criticised this when coronavirus is still spreading rapidly around the world. There's still big questions about the UK's test, track and trace system, about whether it's suitable for this, with people going to outdoor music venues and swimming pools. And again, is the industry ready for this, given all of the social distancing measures they're going to have to put in place? I like that you call my sector the fun sector. I think I might change my job title. I think the gym sector were particularly peeved when they weren't included in the July 4th reopening because they felt that as somewhere that, you know, runs showers, wipes down equipment a lot, they were actually perfectly well prepared, better prepared perhaps than your average wooden panel Victorian pub to reopen. And they said, we're helping the health of the country as well as being a leisure activity and we should be able to open. So yesterday's announcement was very welcomed by them and the spacing in gyms is going to be pretty enormous. You'll get a nice 100 square foot 
to yourself when you go to your gym and swimming pool lanes will be doubled. So you're going to have to book. But thoughts that coronavirus is spread through sweat are not founded. And the concern about ventilation in gyms, they've been quashed and there have been protocols put in place. So these next few weeks will be absolutely critical to businesses taking the responsibility of making sure their customers feel safe. The fear among a couple of publicans I've spoken to is that if there's a second spike, we saw three pubs close for deep cleans after the big weekend, saying that people had tested positive for coronavirus that have been on their premises. If a case is traced back to one of those, then people will double down on the fear of going out and will likely be a second hit to the sector there. And that's it for this week's episode of Payne's Politics. Thank you very much as ever to George, Chris, Alice and Jim for joining. If you've liked this episode, then we'd recommend subscribing to the podcast. You can find us through all the usual channels, Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Play to receive episodes as soon as they're released. And if you hadn't spotted it already, you can find our first interview special on the podcast channel, where I discuss why the UK wasn't better prepared for the coronavirus pandemic with the longest serving health Secretary Jeremy Hunt. Payne's Politics was presented by me, Sebastian Payne, and produced by Anna Dedder, Josh Delamere, and Breen Turner. Until next time, thanks for listening. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.